0: Woo-hoo! And welcome to Managing Marketing. Today I'm here with Lee Steiger, who's the Director of the Executive MBA at Sydney Business School, University of Wollongong. And uh, it's a great opportunity um, because we're going to be discussing a hot topic, which is innovation. Welcome, Lee. Thanks, Darren. Except that it's not a hot topic, is it? Because everyone's talking about it from the boardrooms down to the grassroots or the factory floor. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of innovation actually happening.
1: Now Look, what we're discussing in the green room, um, we're old enough to to look at the history of management fads from business process, re-engineering, total quality management, all, all of these things. Um, and about every 18 months a new one comes around and I think innovation is currently one of these perceived magic pills by, by leaders all around the place. You say innovation by what measure? How are you doing your innovation? What is innovation? What does it mean to you and your customer? What happens? We've got a department for it or it ticks a, a, a box on the, the annual report.
0: Well, I think uh, I measure fads by the number of consultants that are pushing the particular service because uh, certainly link, my LinkedIn feed in the last, say, three years has suddenly bloomed with uh, people giving advice on how to become more innovative. Which I think is an interesting uh, promise, because from my perspective, innovation is actually at the very core of uh, a business culture, isn't it? it or not?:
1: be. Or it, not it, it should be or, or not. Now, where do you, you go with this? It's, it is, it's at our core. I sat in the meeting recently when um, we were looking at a little bit of, of reengineering of an organization, and the team brought in to do this. Um, we're all describing themselves and their strengths, not once did we mention customer. So we're going to innovate our own strengths to create a super team um, with no connection to customer. If you're going to innovate, if you're going to change, if you're going to do anything new, exciting, who are you going to do it for? Mm. And if it's about business then it's got to be customer. Absolutely. And good old Deming told us that all of those years ago and somewhere along the line we've lost sight. Well uh, because you know it's, it,
0: we said before, it's either core or it's not, except that it was also Edward Stemming who said, you don't have to change because, after all, there's no mandate to survive. You know, if you don't want to change, just prepare yourself for uh, business death. The inevitable. And yet, you know, you see so many companies... That are um, what Einstein's uh, definition of insanity are doing the same thing over and over and over again in a market that is being disrupted by technology. Technology is disrupting the economics. It's disrupting the business uh, processes, and it's uh, and therefore disrupting categories. And yet, it seems like boards and the C suite for a lot of companies are absolutely
1: paralysed in the face of change. Yeah. So, why? Short termism, they don't get it, lost the appetite for it, uh, pay it back on. If you just talk about the, the technology issue for a second, and by the way, I don't, don't uphold um, technology as the answer. Um, people, product, process, mm-hmm. that's where you innovate. Um, technology should be an enabler. And and not the thing that that delivers your magic pill of innovation, except
0: And I absolutely agree. We say to people all the time, technology is never the solution. It's the tool that will deliver the the uh, that helps deliver it. Except that so many other people are embracing technology to actually drive
1: change in various areas like fintech. It, it, look, technology, yes, but there is a, a big difference between deliberate users of technology, if you like, where you, you write it into your strategy, and those that think throwing a, a bucket load of, um, of technology at any problem is going to solve the problem, which it, it never does, it never has, um, and you, know, you can track that back to the Middle Ages. But stop a second, these, these, these companies are spending half of their capital budgets on IT to make us more efficient. Are we more efficient? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this. Where is my rocket pack that I was promised by now? You know, my flying car. Where where, where is my four-hour working week? Because technology was going to enable a much um, more relaxed utopian lifestyle hasn't happened. Why hasn't happened? It's made us more connected. We get more crap through the door all of the time that we have to react to. I do a little piece, which is the three-legged stool, Hmm. Um, and you know, people process your legs. If you get one of those longer than the other, what happens? Your stool falls over. Um, you get legs that are too high, that are not supported by anything, what happens? It crumbles in on itself. Um, as, as any leader, what have you got to do? You've got to be able to stand on that stool and you've got to be able to juggle all of those balls of the day. Trouble is, we're too busy juggling the balls on a one-legged stool to be able to have any hope of, of, of balance. And you know, if you, you want some strength in that stool, what are you going to do? You've got to provide some structure around that stool. Mm. And that's where your quality management systems come in. At no point yet have we ever spoken about innovation. But stop right there. Um, if you've got a bunch of companies truly running a quality management system, then they are mandated to have innovation. Mm. Why? Because if they're running ISO, then their mandate is to provide the resources necessary to satisfy the customer, as a management team. Mm. Um, So, we're hiding behind a word of innovation when the systematic process of innovation has been removed from companies because of a short-term cost mentality. Now, why has that happened? Various schools have thought. I thought it was GFC. My mate Cameron reckons it was, was Y2K. But you and I are both old enough to remember the lead up to Y2K. And you know I've got a CV with this stuff still on there mm-hmm. um, doing the Y2K audits. The millions made in the fact that planes were going to drop out of the sky. Now, what did you yes, do? Yes, fresh or, milk
0: was going to uh, disappear overnight and all, all of sorts of things. I, don't.
1: I actually lived by an airport um, in 1999. And I remember staying up. To watch to see if the planes would drop out of the sky and it was bloody disappointing that they didn't you know we did all of that work and gee weren't we great but at some point something happened and cameron's argument is that we invested so much into stopping the problem we didn't have the cash available afterwards to continue that drive for newness yes differentiation all those other buzzwords that we talk about I thought GFC, when we completely ripped the heart out of the knowledge capital of businesses, at that time, most businesses did. They fired the people like you and me, they kept the younger ones because they were cheaper, and we, we lost that knowledge capital. But whether it was Y2K, whether it was GFC, whether we got a double hit, mm. um, we, we kind of lost our appetite and, more importantly, our ability to do that stuff.
0: See, I'm, I'm you know, being older than you. Uh, I actually remember. Yes, uh, I actually remember uh, back in '87, the big stock market crash, mm-hmm. and the impact that that had, particularly on marketing, because that was the area that I was focused on. Is that post '87? Sorry, yeah, '87. Um, there was this huge clear out of middle management. Yeah, the walls and so you ended up with marketing departments with very few senior people and lots of graduates, graduates who were never able to be mentored. And ten years after that we then had this uh, area where those juniors had now risen into senior positions but had never actually been mentored in the business. All they had was the uh, the degree that they would got from the university in marketing, which is at best a nebulous uh, and, and broad topic. And then a succession of 10 years of experience where they were rewarded for not making a mistake. And to not make a mistake is to actually avoid risk and to avoid trying anything new.
1: Well, this gets me on the other pet project, of course, which is um, the more risk averse a company becomes, the more it drives itself into grey mediocre. And what do you need to do with grey mediocre? You need to do the same as everybody else. Now, what do we know? First to market with any product 99.9% of the time wins. Ninety-nine point percent And yet we're told it's better to be a fast follower. Really? If you're in a, the, the grey middle commoditized ground, the last thing you want to be is first to market. You actually yep. want to be last to market. You want to prolong that product, that output of your business, as long as you possibly can. So with this risk-averse mentality, business takes on a different dynamic that says the last thing we want here is change, the last thing we want here is innovation, the last thing we want here are people who are creative anarchists Mm. in our organisation, which puts you and me out of a job of course, Mm. because nobody wants you and me. And this is what we've seen over a period of time, but without those creative anarchists in an organisation, who is there to mentor? the new ones coming through in terms of what innovation means to our organisation. So it's not just an engendered culture, it's actually the ability to enculturate that Mm -hmm. back into an organisation. So not only have we lost the appetite, I think we've also lost the capability of doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. People won't step out of their box. How many workshops do you run? How many workshops do I run? Where it's not the the getting to know you stuff that uh, the psych like to play, but actually trying to do something creative in that room. And how many times? Do it's people, hard work. They, they don't do it. They run no. back to the. Well,
0: because you fall into groupthink. I mean, everyone group. wants to fit in with everyone else. So there is no new ideas. There's no one taking uh, or, or being brave enough to put something out there. They sit there. I, you know, I'm I'm sure the people in those rooms, those workshops, have ideas that are unique, different, innovative but they're too scared to put voice to them because they could be outside of the group.
1: Yeah, I and had you work a, hard. <laughs> there's feedback from a group I was involved with um, earlier this year. And you know, every, everybody loved everybody else and we were all, all working very hard. And there was this, this little, um, little, little thing at the bottom of my feedback that the consultants did, which was Lee, great guy, comes up with um, loads of ideas, but some of them impractical. Right. And I turned around and said, yeah, but some of them are very practical. Yeah. But you've got to have the impractical with the practical. But, you know, this, this notion of, of um, fear of failure, um, mm. you're going to open your mouth and look stupid. In any creative group, that's where it starts. The fun, the play, mm. the idea that is somewhat a little bit wacky. S- yep. Systemized product development, systemized design, will, will knock the stupidity out and create something that is, is absolutely humongously brilliant. But you've got to get that core idea first, and businesses, I think, have they they lost the appetite by losing the appetite, they lost the capability.
0: I think there's a, there's another component here, and especially remember when um, ASIC cl- uh, really came down on boards about the importance of boards to uh, hold the, uh, the CEO accountable mm-hmm. you know? and it was all about uh, governance and accountability and so it got to the point where even the board was uh, set up to not show due governance but just to crush
1: anything that yeah. wasn't doing more of the same. More of the same but then even in high driven innovative product focused call them what you will companies category killer companies, and you know, we run it, you know, who, who are the category killer companies in the world, and all, all, all these guys come up every time because of the design, the mm-hmm. customer focus, all, all this stuff that Deming said you should have, these guys do. And then people wonder why they're as good as they are. Um, but even within those organisations, the the governance process of innovation, people, product process, whatever it is, is actually quite rigid. Mm. You stage-gate it, you have a new product development process that that, that, that goes along these lines, you, you match it off against financial measures and everything else, but at some point somebody has to go, yeah, we're taking a punt on this.
0: Yeah. Otherwise you get a business that's just running off in 50 different directions and never fulfilling on anything.
1: And that's the, the, the side of madness that everybody um, is, is so scared of with being an individual, innovative organisation. But hang on, that, it's, it's not that at all. Mm but when we've lost our capability to actually come up with an idea then those policies and procedures on how we do it get so dusty they become out of date Mm. and we set ourselves up for greater risk of failure Mm. so what do we do? We outsource it! So that's why you make your squillions that you do doing what you do Um, it's why those of us on, on the other side become in great demand for our are creative talents, but the problem on that is that it's it's black box design, it's black box innovation. So you you're just going to buy a bit of innovation and hope you can plug it into your your company. Well, but and
0: that's where it doesn't work. I mean, the, um, it's either that, it's either black box or the you pay all this money to outsource it, but then you never have the cultural process to actually embrace the ideas that are provided to you.
1: Absolutely right. And
0: so it's almost like ticks the box, you know, oh, well, we've invested uh, X million dollars in innovation because we've got someone to come up with some ideas, and that's the end of the story. They don't actually implement And And to me, you know, one of the big questions that uh, we, we uh, get asked all the time is what's an idea worth? And I always say, well, there's a saying that uh, ideas are a dime a dozen. And they are until someone's willing to invest in it and make it work.
1: Absolutely right. The best best example I've seen of a company embracing innovation and all of its road to change is actually up in Hong Kong. And a mate of mine has worked with them now for five years. Um, and he's external to the organisation, so he will challenge anybody within that organisation. They are a commodity service provider. Their attention has gone up. Their profitability's gone up. Their ability to take on new markets has gone up. The ability to offset the challenge of the rest of Asia is um, is there. And what have they done? They have basically gone back to grassroots stuff that you and I learnt in the eighties mm-hmm. from guys that were doing it in the sixties and the seventies. And it, this this whole innovation culture. Um, has become so embedded within this organization that their base employees come out of that building not only smiling but bouncing on their heads telling mm. the world about how wonderful it is to work there and so on. They, they argue that you can um, you can hear a smile over the telephone. Mm. And th- this, this isn't about paychecks, th- this is about how can we make this better mm. for our customers. You make it better for your customers, you make it better for yourself.
0: Yes, there's that word empowerment, you know. And in fact, most organisations uh, make the mistake of thinking innovation somehow exists in a little group of people. It's a bit like agencies that bother to have a, a section called the creative department, as if creativity only, only happens exists there. Though. But hang on, know. we've got... Well, our well, sorry, here's our innovation department, because that's where innovation
1: happens. But we've got an accounts department, haven't we? We, we, we do that in an HR department. We've got to have one of those. And um, we, 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 you know, we, we, we've got all of these these departments, now what else does this kind of departmental siloed thing, oh yeah business education, mm. you know we, we've taught this kind of siloed speciality for far too long, mm. so you, you talk about somebody coming out of um, a, a marketing degree with this, this nebulous cloud but you know they have done international marketing, they have done HR with a marketing view, that uh, they, they, they would have done um, communications for, for marketing, all these these kind of siloed titles but Have they ever looked at that process of marketing within a holistic, multifaceted, multicultural, multifunctional organisation? answer is no, it's too complex. Um, You get business leaders coming out with business leaders degrees, and they've they've done their finance, and they've done their governance, and they've done their HR. And all all of a sudden, all of these, these, these subjects, have they ever looked at a multidisciplinary approach? And the answer to that is most times no, because this stuff is taught as a silo. So what happens is that the expectation of new talent coming into businesses, it's all about managing that silo mm. structure it like we did back in 1865 out of West
0: Point. Yeah, the old military structure. Yeah. And that's why um, a friend of mine talks about the T of capabilities. He said that uh, people should or, or will naturally fall into, they want to be the type of personality that goes very deep in a very narrow subject or will be very broad across many subjects and take a more holistic, total functional approach. And that yet there's no mechanism currently in either HR or or in most organisations to be able to separate out the two or even work out how they come together. Because the whole organisation is so siloed, you have to go into a silo and maybe if you can leap across a few, by the time you get to general management, You've got a, a broader view.
1: You can't leap across them because if you are a great piece of natural talent in the accounts department, are we going to let you go to marketing like how old we are? Mm-hmm. Because then we're going to have some somebody else that we've got to train up, so we're going to keep you exactly where you are. So you're never actually going to get rewarded for the talent you've got anyway because it's more... more beneficial to me your leader to keep you where you are doing what you're doing otherwise you're going to make my job hard by leaving Mm. so what happens with career progression we are forced to go out and do something else and by being forced to go out and do something else we take our natural talent with us we then have to get re-enculturated somewhere else with all of these new ideas that we want to implement but we can't implement because the culture we've got into stops us from doing it so you've got this in virtuous circle Mm. of blocking what what should be a natural creativity
0: So uh, it sounds like short-termism in uh, sort of performance planning and and view of business planning, short-termism in uh, in career development or talent management, because it's all about people having to chop and change, and yet uh, innovation is actually not short-term, is it?
1: No, innovation is not, and I think it's too simple to say short-term. Because that, that's an easy one. You know, you're a CEO, you're there for two years, or you're there for three years, and it's, it's about return to shareholders. We get that, yeah. okay? Shareholders need to wake up to the fact that, hang on, if they want to be shareholders in five years, they might actually need to invest a bit back into the business. I'm not sure shareholders have actually got that quite yet. But moving outside of that, let's blame the CEO for, for short-termism and personal career progression and so on, let's think about what is actually going on here. And if we go back to basic principles of running a business, there are a 1,000 million people who have said ISO is the thing, the, the, the ultimate standard for running your business. So why are we not doing that? And within there, it then tells us what we should be doing. They are mandated clauses, which includes all of the governance. It includes all of the other stuff we hide behind, good financial management and so on. And within there, it talks about customer focus. Now we've got overchanging markets we've got the, the 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 pressure of technology change we've got the pressure of social change we've got the pressure of globalization. Have I missed any of these just yet um, but what happens is that your customer base will move or change, and your whole mandate within something like ISO is to keep an eye on them mm-hmm. and either keep them or design your next lot yeah. How many of us are actually doing that? And you turn around and you look at the Catterick Killer companies, and they are. There is a framework for doing this. Mm. So, you know, you can get a thousand consultants coming in and saying, I'm going to give you a, a bucket load of innovation and you're going to be okay. And I'm not talking about agency work. I'm not talking about contract design. No, right. I'm not talking about contract product development, you know, all the stuff that you and I grew up in. I'm, I'm, I'm actually talking about good guys providing good acceleration, catalyst, support, specialism, and so on. The, the, the role of the consultant. And but when, when you've got the others coming in who are offering some fairy dust and a bucket of, it's going to have absolutely no impact on an organisation because they haven't got the house in order in the first place. Mm.
0: And that's, yeah, you see that time and again, uh, organisation, because I think there is a scorecard mentality as well. Oh yeah. yeah that uh, there's a lot of people out there that are change managers. And lots of people that uh, say that, you know, well, it's all about, you know, making the changes that need to be made. But in actual fact, the most effective change comes from the organisation itself. My experience is that I've never seen an organisation changed by someone externally trying to change it. it External factors are the reasons that you should change, but the change actually has to come from the ground, you know, almost from the
1: ground up. And you need resilience to do that. You actually, and it's not a thick skin. You, it's actually the determination to to engender that change Mm. and how many of us have the stomach for it? Now uh, is is it that we're driving for or is it that there's something else going on? Driving for short-term gains? You know how much can organisations cut costs before they cut their business? Mm. And you know the the classic stories of um, Fastener companies going down the tubes and screwing our auto industry when, when we had it because they were cut too much. How many times does this, this risk happen somewhere mm-hmm. because we've cut, cut, cut? How many times have we had substandard product and product recall because of it? Um, and the the near suicidal um, results of of that kind of thing. And it's all too easy to say, all we need to do is focus on cost. Remember, Deming said it wasn't about focusing on cost. No. It was about focusing on unnecessary waste. And that completely changes the view in an organisation.
0: Yeah, of course. And in fact, he said reducing cost or improving efficiency without improving quality is a waste of time. Because it's always about improving the customer experience, improving the, uh, the product or service that's being delivered. Uh, and yet, I think it's because going back to the financial reporting and the, the short term financial reporting for shareholders, is that if you are not adding to the top line, then you can, you can cut your way to profit in the short term. Yes, you can. Right? And so what we've seen is successions of, of quarters where profit has been reported, but you can never ever cut your way to growth, no. right? And I think that's why we're seeing, um, I was in the US a month ago, and last year the US government reported that 48% of the Fortune 500 had revenue losses last year, declines, 48%, on average 7.3% decrease in revenue. Now, if that's not a tipping point, if 2016 doesn't go down in history as the point where US uh, enterprise has cut its way to shrinking, then I don't know what is. Because there there has to be a wake-up call that says, if we don't start driving growth and focusing on growth rather than focusing on just cutting cost, when when are we going to wake up?
1: Well, what do we do next? We put up trade barriers. What do we do? We, we become more nationalistic in terms of what we should be supporting and where we should be buying and where we should be going on our holidays and so on. So you get systematic change in, in economies.
0: Just or, to protect the inefficiency. Just to in protect England.
1: inefficiency and the fact that we can't compete in a, in a, a free and open market. Yeah. Um, it was on the news this morning, the, the, the treaty between Europe and, and Japan. In, in, in an age where people are looking to, to trade barriers these guys are turning around and going no it should actually be open because that's where your innovation that that's mm. where your your um, your efficiency it, it's where you are going to get the best value product as, as a customer comes from mm. so you know we we, we defend it in, in terms of, of it's too easy to say short term we have become short term I think we have become more and more short term and lost ability and therefore appetite to innovate.
0: Part of this is also uh, a lack of leadership though, isn't it? Because short-term is just meeting the needs, the short-term needs of shareholders or investors. Whereas leadership actually creates vision and and creates a longer-term plan in the face of short-term reporting.
1: So do we then extrapolate that and say, that we potentially have two kinds of leaders, the bureaucratic and the entrepreneurial. Well,
0: If, if, if you see the world as existing as dichotomies, yes, there okay. are two. Well, There's probably ten,
1: but, but let's pick two. Let's pick two, because you know, <laughs> two, two, two we can count on one hand. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, are our shareholders looking for the bureaucratic, but at the same time demanding that the bureaucratic become the entrepreneurial? Hmm. I don't know.
0: Well, it's interesting how many times uh, people say to me that, uh, oh, well, we'd like to be more like, you know, uh, Richard Branson and Virgin, you know, or we'd like to be more like Apple or we'd like to be more like, you know, any one of those companies like the Ubers and the Amazons of the world, you know, and be disruptive and be innovative. We'd like to be
1: like that. We bore him in that.
0: No, I know, but that's that uh, they just uh, look at what other people are doing why, that are seen as incline yeah, successful. And but
1: why 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 don't they turn around and say, We'd we'd like to be what our customers want us to be? Oh Well, that's a fresh fresh thought. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. was the last time you heard that? I can't remember the last time I heard that. Never I? heard it. Probably not. But think, think about it. Not,
0: not in, uh, you know, uh, in my short-term memory span, no. So who's
1: your customer? <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we know who your customer is. Oh, and that um, is very interesting in terms of some of the data on that because most of our organisations don't have a clue. Mm. They, they they will name it for a sector, but they actually don't know who their customer is. Mm. Um, and if, if you can actually define who customer is or who customer is going to be, then surely you can... Design the route to get you there, and be, by designing the route to get you there, and there, are a myriad, then what you are doing is injecting the innovation necessary to create the change necessary to satisfy your customer. Mm. Yep. You don't have to be like Uber. You don't like, have to be like Amazon. You don't have to be like the guy next to you. Mm. You have to be like your customer wants you to be. What do we hear this morning in terms of telecom? Almost twice the amount. Um, of, of cost to get the name in our service providers at the moment, and we're still not getting the broadband we were promised. Yeah. yeah it, it's... Who's your customer? What do they want? Now, if you can define customer, what do they want? You get your differentiation, you can be innovative in that space, you can carve a little niche for yourself, and little niche can become very big in the global economy. <gasps> he breathes. We haven't mentioned the I-word in quite a while yet. No. Because the I-word then becomes embedded in everything else we've just spoken about. And that, that's where good agency stuff comes along, it's where great education comes along, it's where catalysts, it's where creative anarchists come in and, mm. and, and do their bit. It, it's, it's all of this stuff then, because there's value in what we do at that point. We're, we're not just preaching to an empty church yeah. and the choir's
0: gone home. Because, I mean, what you're talking about, uh, this is 101. You know, this should be at the very basis of every organisation. So, it's, it, it's lost or or um, there is a, uh, often a profound sense in businesses that they're treading water. Yeah. Rather than, you know, that, that we've forgotten that we can actually determine our own future.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's... And... Oh, we could get on to self-determination theory. That's, that's, that's not go there. No, um, that's, that'll be for another, another talk. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Come into a series near you. Look, with this, this concept of treading water, why we'd say it was strategic direction, we'd, we'd say it's against about leadership or whatever. But let's go back to customer. If you can define who your customer is or who you want them to be, Everything else will fall into place. Mm. Now, that's a marketing silo, of course. Some might argue it's a sales silo, although we never talk about sales because that's dirty. But it's not. It's a basic DNA link between Mm. company and customer, which is where your whole system comes from. Mm. But unless you focus your business on your customer, then it's good.
0: So it's interesting because the whole concept of, you know, what's the purpose of this business is to uh, deliver shareholder value. In actual fact, why businesses start is to actually fulfil a need of a customer. The shareholder part came later. Okay, yeah? A lot later, and, yeah. and And so it's chicken and egg. You know, Organisations start because there's an opportunity or a, a gap in the marketplace that they see that they can fulfil. Then the shareholders come along at some point and start pouring money in and they want their money back on that investment. And Usually so, in the short term. Yeah, and and every quarter we want to know that you're growing the business, and so suddenly the focus for the CEO is about keeping the investors happy, and not the reason that the business exists in the first place. And as the we customer. base that
1: strategy on a Mr. Macaulay economic view, which what is it? If you you earn sixpence and spend threepence, then you've done okay. But if you earn sixpence and spend a shilling, yeah, then you're screwed. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at it from that kind of viewpoint as opposed to going, who is customer? Mm. Can we grow the market with this customer base? It, it, it's a completely different view of how businesses should be focused. And it doesn't say take away your governance. It doesn't say take away your shareholder value. It doesn't say take away no. your, your view of both the balance sheet, profit and loss, or, or, or any of this stuff. What, what it actually says is, how are we? going to grow marketplace.
0: Which, which, to use a automobile metaphor, is the engine, and all those other things are the telemetry. Yeah, you know, It's the dashboard that sits there and says, is the engine working efficiently, and are we heading in the right direction? Absolutely. And that's pretty much... Uh, which isn't... Didn't we do that before you and I sort of got into the workplace? But... except that now everyone's looking at the telemetry and no one's thinking about well coming from the front end yeah yeah Yeah. well in fact now it's like oh we um we don't seem to be doing as well let's get the
1: cheaper petrol yes (laughs) oh and by the way the the floor pans have rusted out in this car um but it's still okay because we can keep our feet on the pedals well so there's two things you raised
0: and and i want to uh, raise both of them back to you the first is this idea of marketing because I think, and I just read a a Harvard Business Review article which said that CMOs fall into three camps. The first is the commercial, which are largely, they just do marketing comms. Mm -hmm. The strategic, who are involved in developing growth strategies for the business. And then the true chief marketing officer because they have enterprise P&L responsibility. So they're responsible for not just growth, but also profitability across the organisation. Absolutely. Now, the breakdown from this US study was almost 50% are just comms people. Yep. About 30, just under 30%, are the strategic, you know, they're actually having the input into the C-suite about where growth is going to come from. And less, it was about 20% are actual P&L responsible, proper CMOs. Okay. I actually see a lot of marketing departments and I'd love to see that study done here in Australia because I think that that commercial area would be probably slightly larger and the strategic would be smaller. But a lot of places that are called marketing departments 20 years ago were the advertising department.
1: Yeah. Brand police or whatever.
0: Yeah. They did the comms. When actual fact... Marketing is completely distributed through the organisation and, you know, the pricing people are over there and the product people are there and the distribution's over there. And, and so when people point to marketing, they're actually pointing to marketing comms mm. and blaming marketing for the fact that, in actual fact, it's only, you know, one quarter, if that, of the marketing mix. If you're based on four
1: Ps. <laughs> Don't get me
0: on the four Ps. Yeah, and you yeah. know my view of marketing <laughs> people anyway.
1: Look, when you, I, I've worked with some of the world's great marketeers and in awe of them, but the the brand police, the um, all we need to do is a little bit more promotion or awareness types. Got no no time for. Mm. It, it doesn't help an organisation, but in those organisations where marketing is linked to profitability. I, yeah, they've they've been the guys that have been more customer focused, more innovative or product driven, they've been able to carve out niches where nobody else can and defend those niches against massive um, global change and global pressure, why Mm. can they do that? Because they've they've now got the ability to be innovative within that organisation not to tweak, but actually do some real structural stuff to make make it happen and keep it happening. Mm. And those are the companies where the employees come out, banks in and, and, and wearing the corporate tie home or doing whatever they have to do because they're proud to be part of that organisation and input back in. Mm. Now, how many of us do that? How, how many of us have that connectivity? As opposed to, here, here's the latest colour that we're we're putting on our cards or here's our yeah. latest... Web campaigns through. Window dressing. dressing. <laughs> yeah, your window dressing.
0: And the second point were, that you raised, and, and it's that uh, you know, if you sell it for sixpence and it costs you threepence... I was um,
1: paraphrasing, by the way, I can't remember the numbers, but it wasn't. Yeah,
0: but yeah, uh, you know, uh, is the, um, the fact that that is a transactional view of uh, business and not an investment view of business. Because what we're seeing now with these tech companies, you know, Snapchat is still pre-profit and yet it's valued at billions of dollars when it floated on the stock exchange when it hasn't even done a transaction that's lit, uh, delivered a profit.
1: You've got me into a space where I, I, I kind of smirk for the, the, the radio again. Um, but dot-coms, all of the app. Mm-hmm. growth and, and collapse and you know this this tech space now and and, and tech ads and, and so on. We we still haven't got our 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 arms around what this really is. You know you and I don't remember the the tulip bubble burst and, no, and so on. No. Um but yeah. yeah how how many times do you ride these waves? How many times do mm. people come on to invest and so on? And history goes back a thousand years of this, this this technological investment then bang and the idea is you get in quick here you, you do your bit you get out quick before mm. it goes and, but you know no, nobody knows when that's going to happen really from a technology and an innovation past you you came up through that science back. it's a scientist doing marketing and communications for you know um, I came up through a product development side what I have witnessed for many, many years a good generation and a half, is that those curves are already in place and being well done ever before the markets catch on to them. So when other people want to jump in, that curve's already passed. Mm. Now, that is, well, oh, how are we going to predict this? Well, really, you've got to be doing your own. The, you know, the, your, your whole preemptive curve on platforming your product offerings and, and so on becomes critical to that, which is then brought us back around to this innovation, how are you gonna do it, mm. product led through 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 the customer. So you're then not relying on somebody else's technology to to give you that boost. You're actually relying on your own innovative connection to customer yeah. to give you that boost. And then support it by technology. Mm. So do you want to invest in a lot of technology that may or may not not pay back in the period you've got how many upgrades of software how how many times um, do do we have to do this or do you want to invest in the stuff that's going to connect you back to your customer then we'll get what technology you need Mm. because the argument of whether it's going to be ipads or mainframes suddenly goes away when you know what you're doing for the customer when it's about the customer
0: and ultimately the purpose of business is to create customers yeah Uh, i also think the lesson is that businesses need to start because I've had this discussion with CFOs. They need to have a discussion around short-term investment for return and longer-term investment for future returns. That even though our accounting system uh, says on the very last day of um, the financial year, all your customers effectively die mm-hmm. and are reborn on the next first day of the new financial year, but there has to be money held to invest today for future growth. Because just constantly sucking the the potential out of the marketplace and not investing back into it is is true short-termism because it'll get to the point where there'll be nothing left. It's like a a mining um, uh, paradigm, which is you've got your big coal mine, while you're digging that, you should be looking elsewhere for the next deposit of and coal. The next
1: one, and the next one. The next
0: one, and the next yeah. one. Yeah. Well, coal's probably not a good one because it's apparently going to be replaced by alternative energy. But
1: um, but the, the problem <laughs> with alternative energy is it, 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 it's almost a metaphor for what we're talking about here. You you talk to um, the wind people, the answer's wind. You talk to the, the wave people, the answer's wave. wave. You talk to the solar people, the answer's solar. You try and get all three in the room, and they're going to fight like hell. When the answer is it, it's this holistic, all of them. Hmm. It's a combination um, of all three. And, you know, you get your marketing people in the answers, you get your operations people in the answers, you yeah. get your financial people in the answers. When are we actually going to get people in and say, this is the customer, what are we going to do about it?
0: So the CEO is actually the chief customer officer. Should be. Yeah.
1: But how many of them truly are? Because they've got to report to the shareholders almost on a daily or a twice daily basis.
0: And when you look at the average CEO, CEO's communication, it's 90% of the shareholders and staff, stakeholders and very little to the customer.
1: Now you mentioned a, a, a kind of Sir Richard a, a little while ago, yeah. um, God rest his soul, mm. Mr. Jobs and so on, they were connected, they still yeah. are connected in, in, in so many different ways. Mm. The, the great leaders of business have, have always been connected, haven't mm. they? Yeah. And it's not that we necessarily view them as superheroes and, and latter-day gods in our society, but there seem to be this connectivity. Yeah. Now, whether that was just... Understanding their customer. Yes. Whether that was just good PR or whether they actually had an insight into this, you could write a thousand books. Um, But it would be interesting to see the airport filled with books on how they connected with the customer as opposed to life story. Yeah. It It might just change mindset. Perhaps we should do that.
0: Sounds like a plan. Lee, thank you very much for your time. It's It's been fascinating as always. Cheers.